And to be honest, my whole heart wasn't in that job anyway. I think it pushed me to grow. After that role, I stepped into a new private practice role. But again, you know, I was, I did feel like I was just trying to push this path, you know, grind on the path that maybe wasn't 100% aligned with me. And, you know, you need to do that sometimes. Mm. You're not going to get your perfect job straight out of law school, but I think it's important to maybe recognize what you are enjoying and what you're not. And if you're not giving 150% to your job and, and really trying to do a good job, then maybe it's time to step back and, and just assess, really. Welcome to the Council Podcast a podcast about life as an in-house lawyer. I'm your host, Mel Scott, Senior Legal Counsel at a global technology company based in Brisbane, Australia. I am passionate about all things in-house and am so excited to share insights, interview key people in our profession and demystify in-house practice. My guest today is Crystal Kovac, Head of Legal and Compliance at Encore, a global contingent workforce company operating from the beautiful Sunshine Coast here in Queensland. Crystal and I began our legal lives together, meeting at law school over 10 years ago. We've stayed close since then, and now we both have the pleasure of working in-house. Crystal tried her hand at a few different areas of the law and business before really finding her place in-house. As a friend, it has been a true pleasure seeing her thrive in her current role. And as a fellow in-house lawyer, it is obvious to me that she is kicking some serious goals and is one to watch. Crystal shares some seriously inspiring words of wisdom for law students, but I also think that her advice rings true for all of us, especially when it comes to dealing with discomfort and growth. Enjoy this episode with Crystal Kovac, and please feel free to share it with anyone in your network who may also enjoy it, especially any law students. Crystal, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. As I mentioned before, we do know each other pretty darn well, I would say. Friends since law school and we've stayed close for, I don't know, is it like 12 years now? It must be. Such a long time. I know. (laughs) And we've been through a lot together. I was thinking about recording this podcast with you this morning and reflecting back on who we were at law school. And who we are now. And it, you know, a lot has changed. (laughs) Worlds apart, maybe. You would expect a little bit of maturity to creep in, but we still have um, some incredible memories. And when we catch up, we can, you know, we just chat. And, And this is how this podcast actually came about because we were at ACC Australia networking event last Friday, having a chat afterwards. And I just thought, gosh, I wish I had recorded our conversation because talking about law school experience and in-house experience, what we wish we had known at law school about the legal profession and and where we felt, you know, misguided perhaps and what we would love to share with law students. And then I thought, well, we've just got to do a podcast. Like this has just got to happen. Of course, one of my oldest law school friends who's now working in-house needs to be on this pod. So let's make it happen. And here we are. So thank you for spending Saturday with me having a chat. And uh, I should mention you're joining from the Sunshine Coast because you actually live the dream, working in-house and living in one of the most beautiful places. It is beautiful here today. And I know that didn't even happen by accident. You've created this life for yourself and we will get there. If you had a limitless credit card but could only spend it at one shop, what shop would that be and why? (laughs) 
I feel like there's so much pressure for a hypothetical question, but we'll go with it. We'll go with, a, I guess, a fun answer. I've always found that, you know, the most joy I've got from anything hasn't really been from possessions. It's always been from experiences. So it would have to, you know, be one of those travel sites where, you know, I could travel wherever I wanted and, you know, experience all these new cultures. I've always found that growth and joy comes from that for me anyway. Yeah. For sure. Oh, I love that. Now tell me, I mean, I was there, but I'd love to hear it from your side. What was your experience at law school like? It had its ups and downs. I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to try and make it sound like it's all glowy, which I think we often do a lot of that, especially in the legal profession. By no means did I have a bad experience. I mean, I, I loved that I got the opportunity to go to law school I love the fact that I got to study at Bond. I think it was the perfect type of study for me. Bond is very practical. I don't know how I would have fit in a in a more theoretical or academically focused kind of course because that practical element is really where I enjoy even now where I enjoy my work. But again, like if I reflect back on that experience, it did have its ups and downs. I was very young at the time and I, I sometimes think that sometimes the life experience is what you're missing. Going into law school at 17 isn't exactly an easy feat. I think, you know, while I was at law school, I maybe was a little bit too focused on what I thought I needed to be rather than really exploring what was of interest to me. And I think that it's it's something that's quite topical now, even mm. with law students. What are the opportunities, you know, should you be going after that top tier firm kind of career path. Mm -hmm. And it was certainly something that I felt like I just needed to do that without actually looking at what was going to work for me and who I was as a person. So I think that, you know, some of that time at law school may have been well spent just discovering who I was, you know, not putting so much pressure on, on yourself when you're, you know, between the ages of 17 and 20. The fact that you're at law school is a, an amazing feat. Don't put the pressure on yourself stop competing with each other and really just start to support each other because I've found that, you know, as my legal career has progressed, the in-house community especially is, is very supportive. So to have that maybe at a university level and, you know, we found that together, but I think that's, it's something that's really important, you know, especially around mental well-being at mm. law school too. What do you think are the main reasons why law school can be so focused on that one way of being a lawyer, a top tier commercial lawyer, where does that come from? You know, I've kind of thought about this a fair bit. And I think it's because maybe prior to 20 or 30 years ago, really, that was the only path for lawyers, unless they were doing a dual degree and weren't planning to enter the legal profession. But it's such an exciting time now where you can be a lawyer without being a private practice lawyer. There are some amazing careers in in-house and you've seen the rise of the in-house lawyer, especially coming out of the States where they've gone from being, you know, that almost administrative person between the company and the external firm to now being these amazing right hand or, you know, men or women to the, to the CEO and being strategic leaders when it comes to the company direction. So I do think maybe it's just that, that, what we're seeing now in the legal profession is fairly new still. You know, legal operations is even fresher when it comes to career opportunities. So maybe it's just more people need to talk about it and, and law schools need to listen. And, and it'll take time, perhaps. I think time. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. 
So what would you have said to your younger self if you could go back in time on the first day of law school? Don't put the pressure on yourself. Just be there to enjoy the experience and and make those connections with people, really. There's more than one path and don't feel like you need to pigeonhole yourself or, or be someone else. I think that, you know, sometimes we try and create this persona as we come into law school and we enter the legal profession that we want to be seen as these professional lawyers and and the lawyer in you becomes the identity. Success comes from not maybe putting yourself in that in that box and rather embracing the strengths that you do have and the differences that you do have. That's that just warms <laughs> my heart. I I would have loved to have heard that from from you or my younger self as well because I I totally understand the experience that you had. It was one that I can relate to. I feel like I picked up somebody else's playbook about how to be a law student, how to be a lawyer and what I should be aiming for. And I went, oh, okay, well, that's what I'm told I should want. So I'll just make that happen. And, you know, it probably wasn't aligned with, I suppose, who I was going to be and who I was becoming. And the pressure gets in the way of having fun sometimes. Okay, so we move from law school to the real world. Tell me about your first legal job. So it was an interesting time. We're talking, I think, two years post GFC. So still job market recovering. It was not an easy slog. You know, I'm not the poster child for that perfect um, transition from law school to a big top tier firm and clerkships and all of that. So I kind of had to hustle getting those resumes out, contacting any firm that I could. And Eventually, I got an interview at you know a commercial mid-tier firm, and the reason for that was that I had previously worked loosely worked in my dad's own business, and because they wanted a commercial someone to work in the commercial department, they thought that maybe that background might help a bit with coming into that role. So that's how I ended up in my first role, but. Unfortunately, it wasn't that long lived. I was admitted and then they went through redundancies because of downturn in the Brisbane market. So that was an interesting experience and it really hurt at the time. Mm. But it was such a growth moment because I have so much understanding now about how business operates and it's really not personal when there are retrenchments. It's really just about how the business is performing and, and sometimes those hard decisions have to be made. So. I got plenty of experiences out of out of that opportunity. And go to Canada. And go to Canada. So that's what <laughs> happened. <laughs> In the end, I'd had enough. And, you know, private practice, I just felt like this is not for me. It was probably a little bit of burnout too, you know. Mm. I think a lot of us go from high school where there's a lot of pressure on you and, and things are maybe laid out for you as well. Mm. You go into law school, there's more pressure, things are laid out. And suddenly you're in work and you're like, wait, I've got to make decisions for me now. What does this look like? Or I just go along with the flow and and don't actually think about it. So I quit my job and bought a one-way ticket to Europe and and just went and spent some time as, you know, a young 20-something-year-old experiencing new cultures, meeting new people, Hmm. meeting people from different walks of life or different experiences. I've always found that that's something that's helped me so much, you know, in all aspects of my life, but to to experience that growth. So I backpacked, I 
then came back to Australia and took some temporary roles, which, you know, at the time were not planned at all, but I got to take roles that weren't in the legal field. I worked for Macquarie Bank on a temporary assignment where I got to understand data analysis. And at the time, it was just a means to the end. Hmm. But they're skills now that I actually draw upon. So then I ended up in Canada working as a ski instructor because I just I knew I needed a break. And I, I just I wanted to see the world, which turned out for the best because I did I, I got to ski, I got to ski in Whistler and Silver Star and Revelstoke and all of those fabulous places. Mm. I, you know, trekked to Everest Base Camp. I got to dive in Mexico. It was just this, you know, release. And then, funnily enough, ended up back in a law firm in Whistler. So it was the first time I would say that I actually really started to understand enjoying a job or enjoying a career. I was working in a in private practice, but it's a fused profession in Canada. So you have your litigators who are actually barristers working in private practice. And the practice itself was like 99% female, led by this ferocious QC, who was also the mayor and just entirely inspiring, who I got to work with. So I was just, you know, over the moon to, to start to see this side of the profession working in in litigation understanding and, and getting to see these people in practice who are just such experts in what they do. And, and I, you know, I'm so grateful for that experience because it really helped me maybe get back on a bit of a career path. Okay. You know, I now I've, I've met these people, I've done this, I've, I've found new experiences and I, I can start to think about what my next career steps are. It's a great kind of case study in not being afraid to bounce around a little bit until you really find your place and maybe not having a clear-cut career plan in those earlier years and allowing yourself some freedom to try different things, to try things outside of a purely legal role and understanding that those skills will actually you know, be with you forever and that no experience is ever wasted. And I love that you took that time to probably take the pressure off, get out of the bubble and just find yourself and a way for you and be guided by how you were feeling showing up for work every day. And I think it's so wonderful that you allowed yourself that time because as as I know and, and we'll get to, I think it really created a springboard for you to to come back to Australia and know what it looks like to enjoy your legal life. I could not agree more. You know, when I was in that Brisbane bubble, I really did feel like I didn't know who I was anymore. I was Crystal the lawyer, but Crystal the lawyer didn't have any hobbies or interests outside of going to work. And I think that's kind of a scary position to be in, especially for your mental and your physical well-being. And I think they're intrinsically linked. So that that was something that I really worked on when I went overseas, you know, finding what are my hobbies? What do I like doing? exercise was a really important thing in my earlier life. I competed at an elite level for gymnastics. So I think, you know, I went through this transition phase where I just was all into law and I'd lost that piece of me, but it's the exercise piece now and looking after my mental well-being are are crucial in, in, I think, my career success as well. You know, I just had a flashback and I'm going to go with it. Uh, (laughs) You mentioned gymnastics. You've got to remember when we were cheerleaders 
at university. Oh, oh my goodness, I'm going there. Going I'm, there? I'm okay. spilling the beans on this. This is embarrassing. Embrace your true self. Well, is, is what we're going with. <laughs> we 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 actually loved it. Like I I can't I can't dance, but Rhiannon and Nat, who were our our, our coaches and dance captains, made it look like we could, <laughs> or at least I could. But I was I was the strong, tall one who was the base for all the crazy flippy stuff you did in the air. But I dropped you one day and then you were on crutches for weeks. <laughs> yeah, well, we live to tell the tale. So, But it's, you know, it's those experiences. <laughs> You've gone there. <laughs> I've gone there. Sorry, you were saying. No, it's, just, it's those experiences that make up a person. And I think it's, you know, it's not a great path to go down to try and pretend like you're this perfect cookie cutter of a person that fits a particular description people are multifaceted and I think there's a benefit to embracing it even in a legal or a law firm context absolutely it's so true and I think the the older I get the more I embrace being a bit of a nerd and some of the the things that I like to do and how I like to be and not trying to keep that separate from my professional life and actually embracing that, bringing my whole self to work. And the more that I do that, the better I connect with my colleagues. And for me, the the proof's in the pudding. And I love that, I guess we, we both have found ways to embrace who we are and we don't feel like we need to maybe hide some of those quirkier sides that we may have back in law school and in the early in the early life so it's such a great point because i think even we practice in in house so we're connecting with people from you know all different kind of expertise and backgrounds that make up the running of a company but even in a, a law firm context i think that some of the best legal practitioners that I have come across are people that do embrace the good quirks that they have and it allows them to connect on a deeper level with their clients and I think that's really you know it comes really down to customer service at the end of the day but you build that through connection. Yeah absolutely I would encourage anyone at at any professional level to lean into what it is that makes them them and spend time getting to know that like what what is it that makes you you and embrace that and I'd love to get to the in-house stuff but there's one little piece that's that's missing and that was your time at Optus I'd really love for you to talk to us about your role there because I think it was an incredible opportunity sure Uh, you know it's another example of having no plan really but things working out even better than I could have planned my time in Canada was coming to an end, you know, visas expire, unfortunately. So I came back to Australia because as much as I did love living overseas, there's nothing like Australia, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. So I came back, no job, no plan, very little money <laughs> spent <laughs> on skiing, but also worth it. You know, those memories are still so clear and I'm so glad that I have them. So I came back to Australia. I applied for roles and I actually was offered a private practice job, which I thought was where, okay, you know, I'm ready to give this a a proper go now that I've experienced in Canada and I've really enjoyed myself, but it wasn't going to start for, I think, six or six or eight weeks. So in the meantime, this contract role came up at Optus. They were setting up a new team. It was only meant to be a month. They needed someone to come in and read contracts for them because their legal team didn't have any capacity to do this and they wanted to set this team up. So I was like, okay, all right, let's let's do it. Sounds like an interesting month and it will get me by. Mm. 
So I went in and that was a roller coaster, but my gosh, what an amazing experience. I went in and was working across multiple teams. I was reporting into the finance team, working with the legal team, and then basically speaking to everyone else in Optus Enterprise to understand these contracts. So then that role actually turned into a a major lead role in that team and they offered me full-time permanency and I turned down the law firm and just went for it because I didn't know where it was going to lead but I knew that I was learning so many skills and and getting to learn from so many experienced people from different backgrounds. I, I got the opportunity to go to Singapore as well and present to their executives which is not anything close to what I would have experienced had I gone and followed the private practice path again, just because I felt like I needed to do that. Well, it's that it's the playbook again, the old, you know, I probably should have X number of years private practice experience before I go in house, you know, that old chestnut that Mm -hmm. I still hear from time to time. So talk to us about Encore, where you are now. I'd love to know a little bit about Encore and what a week in your legal life there is like? Sure. So Encore is across payroll technology and also management of contingent workforce once they're placed with big corporates. So essentially that means that we payroll a lot of contractors and flexible workers. Okay. You're kind of like the the middle person perhaps. We are the, the middle person. So we, you know, we help recruiters do the outsourcing of their back office administration so that they can focus on what they do well, which is usually recruitment and networks and, and connecting with people. And then we have a second service offering, which is essentially the middle person between all of the recruiters that corporates will use and the corporate itself so that they can have consolidated invoicing and one I guess, direct connection to manage their large workforces. You help companies around Australia as there yep. other countries as well? Yeah. So we are primarily based in Australia, New Zealand and United Kingdom, but we do have some assignments in, in other various countries as well. You're living the dream. I said it before, working for a global company on the Sunshine Coast. I, d- I don't know how I got this lucky, <laughs> but all I know is that it was not following you know, that set out well-trodden path that I thought I needed to follow. So I imagine that a typical week will involve quite a bit of employment law. Yes. So my weeks are never the same. (laughs) Every day is different. So I report into the CEO and sit on the leadership team. So there's a lot of, I guess, the stuff around the law as well. Yes, employment law is a big piece of it, but we also, there's the business side of it, strategy, leadership meetings, implementing new systems, negotiating master contracts, and generally just supporting my team that I have to make sure that they have everything they need to be able to do their best jobs as well. And what does your team look like? So I have a small team, one lawyer and one law student who I could not get through the day without. They are the backbone of my team and they handle most of the day-to-day inquiries and the contract generation and just do an amazing job, to be honest. That's awesome. I'd love to know what you were looking for in your law student staff member when you were recruiting for that role. I think that that insight could be quite helpful to some Mm -hmm. of the listeners. You know, I think that technical skill is something that can be taught. Mm -hmm. Processes are always going to be different. And most of the time you're going to need to teach someone that is at least of junior level 
how to do things. So I think the the most important quality to look for is someone who's just really ready to throw themselves into any task, no matter how boring it may seem, you know, from the outset and give 150% because I think, you know, that kind of attitude is what really propels a team when you have just a team player who's just really interested and ready to learn and and take any opportunity that comes their way because you know as we've discussed you don't know what skills are going to develop down the track that come from maybe a medial task of data analysis or or something that doesn't quite seem so grand at the time but it develops to something later on so that, that would that is the key characteristic i look for generally over technical You mentioned just before that you report to the CEO and you sit on the senior leadership team. And I also know you've been really working closely with the CEO on some strategy initiatives. And I think that that's incredible. The ability to sit that closely and be that influential is not always the experience of the the head of legal. Sometimes they may even report into a CFO or elsewhere entirely. I'd love to know how you have made yourself indispensable to that individual and and really elevated your position within the company so just like what i expect from you know my team that they give their all all and you know come from a customer service perspective when they're trying to assist the different business units that's how i approach my job as well and coming into this role wasn't straight like instantly um supporting the ceo from a strategy perspective, this has been something that's developed over 18 months of me just putting up my hand and saying, we can do this better. I want to be involved. It's not technically, you know, 100% legal work that maybe the project is, but I want to help how I can. I want to understand the needs of the company. I've, you know, maybe set up, I have done this, I've set up different reporting data sets that are coming out of legal, but assist the sales team or the the operational team. So I think, you know, if you are looking to try and get more involved, just put your hand up, really. You're one team. You're not a legal team sitting outside of the company. You're a part of that team and you're all working towards the same solution. So I don't see why you, you'd need to turn down work just because it's not, you know, maybe a written legal advice or something like that. That's an excellent frame of mind to have. And I commend you for that. You're not afraid to get your hands dirty. (laughs) And often when we have a chat, catching up for a coffee or whatever it might be, you'll tell me what you're doing. And I'm here thinking, oh my gosh, why are you doing that? That is not legal. But I, I totally see where you're coming from. I think that if the culture is right and the company are not taking advantage of an enthusiastic staff member and flogging a willing horse, as they say, and that there's reciprocity there, it can be an incredible an incredible culture and an environment to, yeah, feel safe to put your hand up and take on extra projects, knowing that others have got your back and will do the same for you. I think that there's no opportunity that's ever wasted, you know, as long as you're not burning out. Again, that that's a really important point. But if you've got the capacity and, you know, especially with data, for example, if it's already there and you can put some intelligence overlaid over the top of the data and it's going to help the other teams be more you know proactive or whatever it may be then why not do it and with the strategy piece i think that we're starting to see some incredible titles come out i, I was actually looking up 
looking at a lineup for a conference in the in-house space recently and and the titles are becoming more diverse and I think there was even one that was general counsel and chief strategy officer which if you really start to think about it and think about law on a more general level it makes sense because you know most of us are in quite a regulated compliant industry your strategy should have a core focus of compliance and yeah. and who better to bring that than then your head of legal or your GC or, or whoever is heading up that part of the company. I love it. So you've mentioned data there a few times and I want to hone in on this because I think it's uh, something that from what you've told me, your team does really well and probably feeds into the overall legal operations of the team. But more broadly, tell us about Encore's legal operations journey and what systems and processes and, and tools do you use? So it was quite an exciting journey, maybe a little bit overwhelming coming in on day one, but exciting in the sense that the company was going through some changes and, and a restructure of how they've organized the the company. So I came in and the team was basically just a contracts department, not very automated. They were using Leap, which is primarily used for legal practice. And then they were using printed documents and safe custody. If you remember safe custody from your old private practice days, you know, putting things in the, in the envelope and numbering it and then putting it in the system and then putting it in the physical filing cabinet. (laughs) I came in and, and decided that I needed to assess how we could do things more efficiently and also what the needs of the sales team were, because, you know, that's one of the prime drivers of any organization. So now we use electronic signatures, the sales team can self-serve with their application forms, which makes the whole, I guess, customer experience from both an internal and an external perspective, much more customer friendly. And then in terms of what else we're using, we use, we still use Leap at the moment because we were locked into the contract, but that's an exciting project that's on the horizon. And we're using Monday to track workflows and also report out of Monday. So essentially everything that comes in, we're tracking in different boards on Monday and you can actually set up the board in any way you want. So any piece of data, it does require a little bit of setup from the outset because someone does have to input the data once, but it's so worth it because essentially it gives anyone that's got access to the board visibility of where everything is at and any of the maybe the data pieces that you are tracking. So if you wanted to track your margins or something like that, then that's all there and you can export it straight to Excel or you can view it on your mobile, which oh, I love that. it's these small things that really make a difference um, in people's lives. You know, if you're checking that multiple times a day, suddenly that kind of adds up. And when you've got it straight on your mobile phone, if that's an important piece of data, I guess it's, you know, makes everyone's life easier yeah. yeah is monday matter management is that how you use it essentially okay yeah it's kind of like it does what an excel spreadsheet would do but it's cloud-based and it's really it's got great customer um, experience overlaid and color-coded and you can set it up in any way that you want and i think the reason why it it does work is because it's so easy to use you don't really need training you just need to set up the format and then you, anyone can really use it. 
I want to talk about mentoring because I know that you're a real fan of being a mentor and giving back and also being a mentee and, and learning. I'd love for you to tell us what is the best piece of career advice that you may have received from one of your mentors. I've had two mentors that have made like a profound impact on my life and my, my career journey. One of them was when I was at Optus and she was just this incredible woman leading one of the departments at Optus. And she essentially said to me, you know, growth comes from discomfort. And I think it's something that maybe as lawyers, we try and shy away from, we see it as stress or we allow that uncomfort to turn into stress. But when I started to look at what she was saying and really digest that, I found that I've been able to harness maybe what used to, uh, you know, what used to come up in the form of stress as something I can harness to use for growth now. Yes, I get that. Essentially, it's just, you know, that when you feel a little bit uncomfortable or out of your depth, that you're finding growth and, and growth is ultimately great in any aspect of your life and and especially in your career. It's a little bit of the feel the fear and do it anyway, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yes. Oh, that's that's brilliant advice. And were your mentors in the legal profession or outside? No. So I, the two that really oh, that's such that a I leading question, actually, because I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> the two that I mentioned have actually been from outside of the legal profession. They've been, you know, business executives, and I could not recommend that more because, like I, I guess the advice that I got from you when you were outside of private practice looking in from an in-house perspective on my options having someone that's looking in from not a legal perspective but an executive perspective is so helpful they really provide clarity and context and give you I guess a different viewpoint that you may have got from someone who has a more similar background as you do you know the other piece of advice that comes to mind more recently is we've been discussing embracing, you know, the the quirks that you have. And it's something that came from one of my mentors. He said that, you know, you'll be most successful when you embrace your true self and stop trying to control the image and reactions of other people. Just put that best self forwards without the control around it. And you will find the path that's for you or you'll find where you belong. And it's something that I've been quite conscientious of to try and embrace that and let people see who I am and create those genuine connections that we've talked about. That's really quite profound. It speaks to something that I think of often, which is that it's none of my business what other people think of me. It, it really isn't. One, one person might know me or see who I am and how I am in the world and think that's fantastic and I'll do the exact same thing and the next person might find that irritating or annoying or, or overbearing. And in both respects and both people, it's none of my business. Like they're entitled to their opinions and judgments and perceptions and they they may not even know me that well. So I'm not going to waste time trying to manage their perceptions of me. It's just a waste of energy because you can't and it's and you, and you have no business trying to. You're, you're completely right. You know, as long as you've got good people around you that are helping you grow and you're putting forward your genuine self, I, I don't think that you should be concerned with trying to please everyone. 
it's going to be exhausting if, if you do try. And, and I don't think you'll end up pleasing anyone, to be honest. So true. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what we would tell our, ourselves that first day at law school. <laughs> oh. That would have really set us up. <laughs> so many things, know. you know. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe, you know, success isn't permanent and neither is failure. And don't let anyone tell you what you can or can't achieve because it's really down to you to, to make what you will of yourself. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing all of your insights. You're a wonderful human, wonderful friend, awesome lawyer. I didn't even mention and congratulations formally for being named as a finalist in the Lawyers Weekly General Council of the Year earlier this year. That is epic. And I love that you were recognized in that way because I'm still a cheerleader for Crystal. So... (laughs) Thank you. It was a shock. The The lineup of those finalists were incredible. So just to be even named as a finalist, still being quite young in my in-house career was mind-blowing. And congratulations to Gregory, who won, who is also, uh, you know, I think I'm a sideline cheerleader that he yeah. doesn't know about. But <laughs> I'll tell him. He's a good guy. Okay. I, I'll pass that on. Thank you so much, lovely. That's been so much fun. And there's some epic gold nuggets of wisdom in there as I knew that there would be. Thank you for having me. It's been great to chat. Thank you for listening to this episode of Council. Please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn or Instagram. Find me at The In-House Lawyer.